Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. From the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new Heavy Metal Crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal damage. Damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. High five, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, look into the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready! This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to the Platinum Sombrero. Recording this on Thursday, I'm going to tell you right before the Braves game. But before we get into our predictions... We obviously have to say a big thank you to our friends at Armchair Media, who host the show, as well as the podcasting site, and our good friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for any and all online sports books. MyBookie is the number one online sports book in the world. The most updated lines, the most lines, period. All the prop bets that you could ask for, covering all the sports that you might have any hankering to gamble on, whether that be college football, NFL, playoff baseball, hint, hint. MyBookie.ag is the number one place to go. And if you use our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, they will give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. That's free money. MyBookie.ag, easiest site I've ever used as far as a sports book. All the lines are right there and easy to get to. But if you have any questions, there are customer service, second to none, best in the industry, mybookie.ag. Go today. Use our promo code CHAIR, again, C-H-A-I-R, for your free deposit match of up to $1,000. All right, Doc, it's finally here. By the time everybody's hearing this, game one will be over. But for all intents and purposes, this is it. You and I have not really discussed what we think is going to happen today. And I think it's kind of been on purpose to, to, to give it to the fans here and the listeners here on the show. But we're finally, finally here. And I don't know about you, but that last week of the regular season 
that seemed to take forever. Absolutely. And knowing knowing that the division was locked up and that there wasn't really much to play for as far as, you know, whether you win out or lose out, you're going to wind up in the two seed. So it was just kind of, it was like that last week of school, you know, just waiting, twiddling your thumbs, knowing, knowing that, you know, better things are coming, but you can't do anything about it right now. But yeah, man, we are here. Uh, first pitch is in, I think, 47 minutes, if my math is right, which it's probably not. So um, I'm hyped, man. This this particular year, you know, last year was was kind of a, a blessing and, and everybody outperformed. And now we're like, we belong here. We're supposed to be here. Absolutely. And, and not just that, but the Braves are sitting in a position where I almost think that the fans are, are trying to underestimate the Braves themselves. You and I talked last week about how we felt about the Cardinals, and I told you guys, I'm not scared of the Cardinals. Uh, a lot of Braves fans disagreeing with me. Uh, even in the the radio world, if you guys haven't caught on yet, I do do some radio work with 680 The Fan. And on Wednesdays, they always bring me in for a Brave segment. So we're talking about it. And everybody's trying to, to talk about, even Chipper Jones talking about uh, how dangerous the Cardinals can be. I still don't see it. I think that this might be a little bit more of Braves fans giving themselves an out, so to say, if the Braves go in and, and lay an egg and get bumped out. And they say, well, the Cardinals are a really, really good playoff team. I'm not buying it. This is a different type of Braves year where we're going into the postseason, and unlike last year, this Braves team, I, I don't see any sort of, of way that the Braves should lose this series. I think they're better than the Cardinals literally everywhere. The Cards are playing good baseball right now. Part of it is is related to to the Cubs implosion taking place at the, the exact same time that the Cards started the surge. Um, you know, Jack Flaherty has been absolutely amazing for them. Luckily, we won't see him until Game 2. And I think that for Atlanta fans, yeah, it's a different regime. Like, you can't compare what happened in 2013 to now or 2012 or, or any any previous year because so many different players have come and gone. The The front office has been completely overhauled, like, a couple of times. So it's, it's a completely different cast of characters. I think that, um, you know, you look at... I think the most recent one was was UGA against Alabama, and then before that it was Super Bowl Fifty One, and you know all of the different times where at, whether it's the Braves or whoever wound up sniffing some type of glory in the playoffs, but they wound up getting shut down. I mean, it's been eighteen years since the Braves won a playoff series, and you know there's a long-standing history of of Atlanta sports just totally, totally imploding at the worst possible time. And, you know, this has caused me to go off on, on a soliloquy about the 1986 Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and very recently I did this, as a matter of fact. And uh, when you look at this now, though, it's like it feels different. Like I said, last year was a blessing, and I think we all knew that we were kind of lucky to be there. But now, I mean, this Braves team is legit. And Freddie getting, you know, he played two and a half games with – a couple of days off on either side, you know, his elbow, I'm sure it's still barking at him no matter what he says, but I mean, just getting a little bit of rest there and getting a Cunha back and getting a version of Dansby that's actually like hitting right now, then you can look at it and say that, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no area that the cards are better than the Braves. However, playoff baseball is a totally different animal and God only knows. I mean, I'm a wreck. The, the games haven't even started yet and I am so nervous. And I, I understand that, and I, I understand playoff baseball is different, but this is not the, your typical Braves playoff team. You can say that the, the the rotation is 
not as stellar as the Braves usually carry into a postseason, with the exception of last year. And you'd be right. But pitching, and Mike Petriello, by the way, has a great article on MLB.com for any of you who are still hanging on to the pitching wins championships idea. Uh, it's not the case. It's offense. And the Braves' offense, I do believe that this is the best offense the Braves have had at least since 1995 or 1996. This team is just built a different way. This team can score however many that they really want to on you. And I know the last week of the season it wasn't happening and they didn't finish the year offensively like we wanted. But you've seen the lineups for tonight. Freddie's in it. Acuna's in it. All reports indicating that Freddie's feeling great with his elbow, that there's no barking right now, uh, and that Acuna is was good to go before the season ended, really. They just decided to shut him down and play safe. This offense, though, even should Acuna or Freddie not be at 100%, you're still talking about guys like Ozzy Albies uh, and Josh Donaldson, what Matt Joyce, who's been a breath of fresh air offensively, uh, Dansby Swanson, who if he gets hot, we know what he can do. Um, even Nick Markakis, who, who has been good since coming back from injury. This offense is still a, an offense that you have to pay attention to, even without those two guys. And I, st- I look at the Cardinals, and I understand they had a really good second half. Jack Flaherty, you mentioned, one of the best pitchers in baseball in the second half, really looking to take a step towards uh, the promise he was showing uh, as when he was drafted in the first round out of the same high school as um, Max Fried and Lucas Giolito, part of this, all three of them were uh, part of the same rotation. But that's really it. And I've talked about this before. Their lineup is super right-handed heavy, which has led a lot of people to question why Dallas Keuchel is starting game one. Uh, but even their best hitters, I mean, I think Colton Wong and Tommy Edmond are the two guys who, who have been the best as far as consistently getting on base for them. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, Really rough start of the season. Supposedly had a breakout second half. And power-wise, yes, he did. His OPS is up significantly in the second half. But still, riding in with like a 266. And you guys know I'm not an average guy, but a team average for the Cardinals is 245. What that tells me is, and Doc, you're on the same page as I am, really, that average doesn't tell you a lot unless it's low or high one way or the other. But this lets you know that this team, if they make contact, can do a lot of damage. But they don't make a lot of contact. And for the Braves, whose pitching relies on soft contact, these are guys that don't do a great job of, of turning contact into base hits. So I don't feel – I really am not all that worried. I'm excited. Like, I'm not nervous in the least. Maybe I should be because I've been an Atlanta fan since 91, but I'm really not nervous at all. I think this is a great matchup for the Braves, and Buster Olney agrees with me. I was on with uh, Taylor Blake Ward of the Locked on Angels podcast. He actually thinks the Braves are going all the way before they lose to Houston in the World Series. So I'm ready for this, man. I, I, I feel great. I am not worried about losing the series in the slightest. I, I think uh, part of it really is just kind of what you were saying before, just being generally guarded. It's not necessarily giving the Braves an out, but I've seen this movie before. You know, I was really even even knowing how lucky the Braves were to be in the NLDS last year, I still was like, oh, this is it. We're we're going all the way, and and now even still knowing that the talent is there, it's it's just uh, a long long standing history of fighting off these weird demons. So you know, I don't know if. Um, I don't know how exactly it's going to play out, but if, let me just say this. If everybody is healthy, then the Braves lineup, even for as good as Flaherty has been, even for as good as Miles Mikolas, is that is that right? Michael, Michaelis. Michaelis. Uh, even for as good as Miles Michaelis is as uh, avoiding walks, you know, 
this Braves offense, you know, you've seen what it can do when it's feeling especially dangerous. And the Cardinals, you look at guys like Goldschmidt and Ozuna and Matt Carpenter and guys to use the Josh Donaldson parlance when you look in the back of their baseball card and you can see a, a long track record of of being able to catch fire. I mean, especially, my God, what Matt Carpenter did at the second half of last year. I mean, if he if he can't be contained, it's going to be a really, really long series mentally, but very short chronologically because he can carry an entire offense. So I'm just guarded, you know, and, and we have Dallas Keuchel, who is a seasoned, seasoned veteran, um, not just in his career, but with the playoffs. And he has started game ones for, uh, for the world series. He has done winner take all games. I'm very glad that we have him to anchor this because that allows you to put Fulty in game two and Soroka at game three. And you kind of you have plenty of options there. So the way that Fulty has been pitching in the past couple of starts, that Fulty versus Flaherty matchup could be pitcher's duel for the ages. I say that it's going to wind up being like 12 10 uh, type game because that's that's just how those tend to go. But feeling good, you know, I, I still I think the Braves are going to take this one. I know we're going to break down our full playoff brackets here in a little bit, but I, I do think the Braves are going to win the series. But, um, I think I can echo the sentiment of a lot of fans by saying, if they don't win the series, then I won't be surprised. And so that's that's going to be the difference between you and me because I will be surprised because I don't think there is any there's I don't think there's any Cardinals reason that you should lose this series. The only way that you lose this series in my mind is the Braves don't play like they should or injuries abound. Which that that's my biggest thing is this is a series that. Braves fans and Atlanta fans in general should expect the Braves to win. This shouldn't be a, holy crap, we beat the Cardinals. This this is a, a team that, and if you listen to Charlie Culberson um, talking to, was he, he was on 680 The Fan on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, uh, I think it was Tuesday, and listen to him say that the Braves are going about this, and Charlie evoked the Dodgers last year when the Dodgers beat the Braves in that first series, Uh Charlie mentioned that they weren't going out and celebrating because it was expected of them. And Charlie's talking about the Braves in the same light that that this is not a series that they are that they're going to celebrate winning that they should win this that they're they believe they're the better team and they are and they're all going about this in a business as usual kind of way. I think that's the right mindset. I think this should be the mindset for the fan base too. Um, but that's enough talking about them for now. We'll talk about that that season preview in a second, but we have had two playoff games already, and Doc and I are batting a thousand. Both of those I thought were were very good games. Uh, the Washington and and uh, Milwaukee game I thought was really really exciting, uh, and and exciting for a couple of different ways. I did not expect Max Scherzer to get outdueled by Brandon Woodruff. Same thing. I, I I have spoken at length for my love for Max Scherzer and. Him kind of coming out and giving up a couple home runs early. I mean, that was that was pretty surprising. And it was Trent Grisham that that let off. He let off with a walk, and then Grandall hit the home run. So I mean, it was two nothing before there were even any outs, and and it really looked like Milwaukee was just kind of kind of cruised through that one. And then there's kind of some 2018 Braves magic going on with the 2019 Nationals, and that that scares me a little bit. Were you uh, were you rooting for the Nationals or were you rooting for the Nationals to fail just because? Mm, God, what a question! You never want to see a division rival prevail for any reason, but uh, it's strange. Even for liking Bryce Harper as much as I do, um, I really kind of hated the Nationals when he was on them, and now I hate the Phillies that same amount. And the Nationals <laughs> don't bother me nearly as much. 
So I, I think there's, there's something to the fact that the Nationals could, could beat the Dodgers, and the Braves have handled Washington pretty handily this entire year. So I'm not really devastated with, with either one. I don't think Milwaukee without Yelich actually stood a chance of beating L.A. So if the whole idea is a path of, path of victory for, to get to the World Series, then I think that's the best possible scenario. Because Washington can beat L.A., and that was my thing. Like, I may hate you during the regular season, whatever. When it comes time for the Braves to have a chance to actually get to a World Series, I want the path of least resistance this year. Yeah, you can talk about I want to beat everybody. I want to go on the revenge tour. I want the first one out of the way before I do that. So this year, and you said it yourself, even though Scherzer did not have a great start yesterday, or on, uh, not yesterday, but uh, Tuesday, yeah. even though he didn't have a great start Tuesday, he is still one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, Strasburg was incredible coming out of the bullpen. He, he threw one of the nastiest changeups I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and they still have Patrick Corbin, who I don't believe they used at all. Uh, when, you, when you talk about going up against that Cardinals series, you're, or the Dodgers, you're absolutely right. Milwaukee, I didn't think they had any sort of chance, and not just because of Yelich. They don't have the pitching to hold up to the Dodgers. And you can say that... They had a great bullpen yesterday or last year talking about the, the Brewers. And last year, their bullpen is one of the best in baseball. They're not as dominant this year. And I don't care what you say. You have to get through the first five or six innings for the bullpen to really be a factor. And I know Woodruff pitched really well. But aside from him, there's no starter that Milwaukee has that I would even say would be a four for the Dodgers. And I don't, I don't think any of them besides Woodruff would be ahead of Kenta Maeda. So... That would have been a very quick series, and with this Nationals team, they may not have the deepest lineup in the world, but if their pitchers are on their A game, you don't have to score more than two or three runs, talking about Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. I would love to see that series go a full seven games, and for that final game to go like 19 innings. And then I don't really care who wins. Like If the Nationals beat the Dodgers, awesome, because the Braves are a better team than the Nationals. If the Nationals grind out a win against the, or if the Dodgers grind out a win against the Nationals, awesome. They're more tired. They have to go right back at it. I don't see this series for uh, the Braves and Cardinals. I see it going four games. I think that the Cardinals will get one win, but I don't think the series will be particularly close. And when you're talking about, by the way, I should have said five games um, and the Dodgers and Nationals, not seven. But I think that 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 Dodgers National Series will go the full amount because it is going to be such a pitching matchup. You're going to be talking about Scherzer versus uh, Hinge and Ryu. You're going to be talking about Strasburg. I don't know if they'll do Strasburg versus Walker Bueller or if they'll let Clayton Kershaw be the second in the rotation. I think they'll go Ryu, Bueller, Kershaw. And if so, those will be fun matchups all around. Uh, this version of Kershaw versus Corbin's a great matchup. Strasburg versus Bueller is two very high impact arms that either way they could either be great or horrible. Jury's still out on how they go game to game. Although Strasburg's been really good lately. I just hate to admit that for Strasburg. But uh I, I want the Braves to have the easiest path to the World Series possible. I like your idea of the the nineteen inning game where it just totally taxes the uh the business out of the bullpen and you get like Juan Soto being the, the winning pitcher for that uh for that game. And he probably would be. Juan Soto, by the way, I don't think we can overstate how big that hit was for Juan Soto and the Nationals. Um, it doesn't. I don't count that as winning a series. Uh, nobody should. It's one game. But 
were, was there any doubt in your mind when Juan Soto came up with the game on the line and the bases loaded that he wasn't going to oh, deliver I, there? No question about it. I, you knew he was going to do it. And even for the way that Hader had looked, um, it became pretty obvious that the way that he was kind of missing with his location, he was going to try and paint, and he just kind of kind of left one uh, left one where he could get to it. Now the Grisham error is is really the such a huge talking point there. But as it pertains, is what you were talking about with being putting your bullpen in a position where you're asking everybody to be on a lot of the time, when you've got a guy like Josh Hader, who is automatic for a lot of the year, when even he has, you know, even he's not on all the time. So what they have architected in Milwaukee, like they, they need to invest in some more starters if they're going to make any more noise. I say that they were within one game of the World Series last year. But um, I think that based on the fact that Washington ran out Scherzer and Strasburg, they they sent out their two righties, and then they can go Corbin. This means they can start him potentially twice in this series, and he's he being a lefty and the Dodgers being so lefty heavy that really works in Washington's advantage. So um, when I filled out my bracket, I have the Dodgers uh, beating the Nationals, but I, it's gonna be close. It's gonna be real, real close. And and the thing is. If you like good pitching, like, you know, we talked about Flaherty versus Fultonavich, that that stands to be like a, a really good pitching matchup. When you're looking at like Corbin against Kershaw and Strasburg against Ryu, or however, however they line it up, I mean, you're talking some of just those huge, huge names going in that, that LA Washington series. So even even though you might not have like an, an actual rooting interest in, in, uh, in that series, for any reason other than to figure out who the Braves are, or hopefully, are going to wind up playing in the NLCS, I mean, there's going to be some really, really good baseball played in that series, I think. Absolutely, and I should note that I also picked the Dodgers to win that series, and I do think that they'll win it. I think they're they're just they're too good. They don't really have many holes in their lineup. I think that they're the second most talented team in baseball behind Houston. Uh, but when you're talking about pitchers like that, those series can get crazy because at any one day those pitchers could just allow nothing and go a full game. Um, now, talking about, we, I don't want to leave the game last night without mentioning that Rays team. I was so happy for them. I love the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I can't say enough how much I love them. I love everything about them. Their player development is the best in baseball. Uh, I think Kevin Cash is the best manager in baseball, hands down, without really anybody being a close number two. Like I, I think Kevin Cash is absolutely amazing. And to see a guy like Yandy Diaz hit two homers, this is a guy that was considered a cast-off when they got him from Cleveland. Uh, when, when he was with Cleveland, he's a guy that didn't really have any power or no over-the-fence power. He was a doubles machine. The Rays noticed something in the swing. We're like, you know what? We can fix this guy. They brought him over, and he's been belting homers left and right. He and uh, Austin Meadows has had a career year with them after looking like he might not fulfill the promise with Pittsburgh. Tyler Glasnow has been was great for them when he was healthy. I love that Rays team, and that's a team that I don't think that they'll beat Houston, but they're one of the few teams in baseball who have beaten Houston in the season series. And that's not to take anything away from Oakland, who early in the year, it looked like Oakland was not going to, to repeat and go back to the playoffs. It looked like they, they might have lost a little bit of magic. But that Oakland team, I just said all that good stuff about Kevin Cash. We know what Billy Bean is and what he can do. And Bob Melvin is... A great, great manager. Those are the two most innovative teams in baseball, and they had a whale of a game up until the very end. Uh, Charlie Morton pitched in and out of trouble all night, and I love me some Charlie Morton. 
to me, that was a fantastic game, and I look forward to seeing what Tampa can do on the AL side of things. Uh, I know you're a big fan of the Rays as well. Uh, what, what did you think about last night? Uh, I didn't have a chance to turn it on until probably the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, I will say this, though. Diego, Diego Castillo and Nick Anderson for Tampa? Un-freaking-believable. I mean, Nick Anderson was amazing when he was still with uh, with the Marlins, and... I do, I do seem to remember an instance where Ozzy Albies had a grand slam off of him, but I digress. Uh, but, I mean, those two just automatic. I mean, between the two of them, they worked, I think, Tampa's bullpen, because Emilio Pagan came in, and Tampa's bullpen pitched four innings and struck out eight. I mean, just, and embarrassed everybody on the way to, <laughs> to winning that game. So, uh, I was really impressed with Tampa. You're right about Yandy Diaz. He was, um, there was something about his profile that they keyed in on. That was part of that Jake Bowers deal where he wound up going to the Indians. And I think there was a, of course the Mariners were involved in that deal somehow. So, um, yeah, I think Tampa can make some noise. I mean, if you look at the, the series that's coming up against the Astros, it's going to be Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke going for Houston. When you, you say, how could anybody beat that? And then you realize that it's Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, and Charlie Morton again going for Tampa. And Tampa's bullpen, like I was just expounding on how impressive they are. I mean, it's not just just those three guys. I mean, they their bullpen top to bottom is pretty staunch. So... That'll be another one that's really, really interesting and worth keeping an eye on. I mean, I, I think that uh, you look at the other series in the AL where it's going to be Minnesota and New York, and you're just expecting every game to be like 25 runs between the two teams. And then you have Houston and Tampa. I mean, Houston's offense is obviously very capable of putting up some gaudy numbers, but when you're going up against that same level of pitching for Tampa, it's probably much more closely matched than it appears to be. But I mean, Houston won, what, they won 106 this year? I mean, it's it's hard to adequately match up with a team that wins that much. So, but Tampa's good, man. They, they can make some noise. They're very good, and I would be on the lookout for a lot of their front office to be guys that would be poached uh, this offseason. There's a lot of managers and GMs that might find themselves out of a job. Uh, we know Tampa no longer has Dave, or Boston no longer has Dave Dombrowski. I'm just assuming that since they're trying to stay under the $208 million luxury tax, or, or that's where they're trying to keep their salary cap, I'd imagine they're going to go hard for a team like Tampa or Oakland and guys that have put forth winners without spending a lot of money. So both of those teams, they their, their front office should look uh, – completely different next season i think that uh, like the astros who just keep getting guys promoted and signed i think tampa's the next on that train where everybody's going to look at everybody's going to really take a look at what that team has done and that front office has done and before they move to portland i think everybody's going to try to uh take the best members of their front (laughs) office away so that's one of those things this offseason i'm going to keep an eye on i i just love guys that work like that guys that consistently are able to find uh, one or two things that a player does really well or find this guy that is maybe one slight adjustment away from a true breakout and they're able to do this consistently and they draft so well they do great in the international pool I just love those two teams but that's enough of that I know what you guys are really tuning in, tuning in for and that's to talk about the Braves now last week Doc and I played safer out on our ideas of uh, who was going to make the playoff roster and I'm pretty sure you and I did really really well Doc I think we might have missed two people uh, and and one of those, obviously, I want to get this out first. Julio Tehran not making the playoff roster for the NLDS. Um, I was a little surprised. Um, not not surprised that Julio 
didn't make it up to snuff, but surprised that Swarzak made it in over Julio. That was my that was my surprise. What about you? Oh, I don't think Swarzak made it. I think they're they're running with a, a little bit little bit shorter bullpen. Uh, Tomlin got the the long man role. Um, Darren O'Day made it, which is which is freaking crazy. With Julio, I imagine it's kind of one of those things where like. You know, I don't have kids, but I, I would imagine that if you're kind of looking at something where they're like they're making making final cuts for the football team, and you're over here going, "My kid sucks at football. I really hope that he doesn't make it <laughs> for, for the team, for the team's sake, and for his self confidence." And then he doesn't make it. And it's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. Now we have to deal with the fact that he didn't make it." Like I love Julio, man. I I have he was my biggest surprise uh, when we talked about that a couple weeks ago. I mean, he he from the start of May. Through the middle of August, he was so good. And then he had that one start against the Mets where he just totally caved in. And that was kind of, after that, it was pretty much more of that until until the season ended. And, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that he won't make the NLCS roster if they, if they wind up making some type of change. But let's say that it is against the Dodgers, just for the sake of argument. They're super lefty-heavy. Well, I mean, uh, if he... <laughs> If he can't make it against a right-handed heavy team like the Cardinals, then the odds of him making it against a, a lefty heavy team like the Dodgers, who can just tee off on guys like Julio, I mean, they're probably pretty long. So one question we posed last week was, has he thrown his last pitch for the Braves? And if he didn't make the NLDS roster, then are they really going to pay him $12 million next year? So I don't know. Does this change anything for you? Not, not for what you would do, but what you think they might do? Uh, I would think that he's not going to make the roster against the Dodgers either unless somebody gets injured. Uh, you are right. Swarzak didn't make it. There's a six-man bullpen and a six-man bench, which is a little interesting. Uh, I think it speaks to the Max Freed factor. And while I'm not necessarily happy that he's in the bullpen, I think that Max is an outstanding pitcher, and I think that on the right days he gives you the best chance to win bar none. I understand the thought behind it where if you really need a win, you can use Max and you can use him for multiple, multiple innings. Uh, or if you're if you're doing fine and say you're up 2-0 when you go to St. Louis, you can have Max start game four. I understand that. I think that has more to do. Uh, that and the, the uncertainty around the health of Acuna and Freddie, I think that had a little bit more to do with it than the pitching. Uh, I was a little shocked that Julio didn't make the roster versus the Cardinals just because they're such a right-handed heavy lineup. Uh, but I do think that this that this means that this is it for Julio. Uh, I don't think they're going to pick up the option. I think he has thrown his last pitches in Atlanta Brave. And for Julio, I know it hasn't turned out at the end like we were all hoping when the Braves originally had him coming up through the system as such a such an ace potential pitcher. And even what he showed early in his career when he was throwing 94 and had a ton of movement and had that great curveball working. But I do think, and Freddie Freeman said it as well, uh, a lot of people kind of undervalue what Julio has meant to this team over the years. Uh, and and it, is, it is a sad day. As much as you and I like Julio, I don't think it was the wrong decision. Um, it, it's just going to be one of those that I'm kind of sad to see him go. No doubt. That's, that's the hardest part about it. Is he seems like such a, such a good guy and He's been around for so long that that for any any type of deep playoff run, you you just kind of in the back of your mind, you expect that he's going to be there. So it's not going to seem real, it's, you know, if he goes and he signs with watch, he's going to go sign with the Rays and he'll be throwing ninety nine next year. But uh, that all I really want for Julio is just succeed. He made it through a lot of really really lean times, 
and uh, it's unfortunate to, to see that, that he's kind of fallen off in this way, but best of luck to him. I still got my fingers crossed they pick up the option because my heart just, it just can't take it, man. I'm not, I'm not prepared for, for that type of mental warfare, so um, it's unfortunately the right move. The, the way that he's looked for the past couple starts, I mean, he got shelled by the Royals, you know. if you're Absolutely. I, you're absolutely right. He's, I think he's forever going to be known as like another Jair Jurgens who showed incredible promise and then married a super babe, like a Miss Universe, and all of a sudden everything kind of fell apart. Um, Julio kind of the same way. If you've, ever, if you've never seen Julio's wife, go check her out. She is, um, is drop-dead gorgeous. Um, but, you know, that, that is what happens in baseball, and I, for one, I'm not going to forget what Julio meant to the Braves, how many innings he gave the Braves and a lot of bad Braves teams. Um, the fact that his contract, while... You and I don't think that he would be worth twelve million on the strength of what we've seen so far. It's not an outrageous contract. It was never an outrageous contract. And at times in his career, he could have demanded more money. So I'll always remember Julio fondly, even if he never quite reached the heights that I wish he would have. Uh, but more importantly, you are right. No Anthony Swarzak. Uh, you mentioned Josh Tomlin making the roster. You mentioned Darren O'Day. I thought O'Day would just because. It's so right-handed heavy for the Cardinals, and O'Day basically has a completely fresh arm as long as it doesn't like fall off of his body during a pitch. Um, but he does well against righties. Luke Jackson making it as well. I know that was a – if you peruse Braves' Facebook, a lot of them are upset that Julio got left off and Jackson made it. Uh, and we touched on this last week where I think that Luke Jackson has been the unsung hero, the most underrated of the Braves this year. And while I, nef- I definitely like that he's not in the high, the high leverage roles anymore – I think he's much more suited to that sixth inning type of guy. Uh, I think he most definitely deserved to make this roster, and he can help you out, uh, especially against all the righties. I don't want him facing lefties, but against the righties, I think he can be a, a big-time help. I like the shorter bullpen. I've never really liked bringing a ton of guys just because you have them because when you're talking about the seventh and the eighth man, now you're starting to talk about guys that you really didn't want to use during the regular season. You're just having them there to have them. It's guys that you didn't want in the game anyway. So I, I like the idea of the bigger bench. I love that Cervelli made it. Um, Rafael Ortega was a little surprising. They don't have a ton of, of left-handed guys, which is why I guess he made it over Austin Riley. Uh, but I don't think I don't think Austin Riley being left off surprised either of us. Not at all. Not for me. Uh, Riley, you, you want, want a guy that can just kind of be guaranteed that he's going to run into one. Unfortunately, you know, that requires him making contact right now. And even for Ortega, uh, having low average and low BABIP and all that stuff, I mean, there's been a couple times where he has really squared the ball up. And Riley's just struggling across the board with the strikeouts, with the contact. And, you know, Ortega's hit a couple of pretty decent-sized home runs of his own uh, in pretty crucial moments as well. Uh, so... I don't mind that move so much at all, and I think that this is where it goes to show you that Ender and Ciarte being out for the rest of the year, and Camargo maybe being around for the NLCS, and Charlie Culberson uh, obviously out for the rest of the season. You know, I think that they their hands were kind of tied in the, in this regard. So going with the the long bench, I think will be good. It gives you the chance to pinch hit Cervelli and so and not just totally um, liquidate your bench. It, you do sacrifice a little bit in the bullpen. But having Tomlin, who can be your long man, having Max Freed, who you know can go a couple of innings, and uh, even if something weird happens and you have to have Keuchel wind up starting game four on short rest, he being a somewhat fresh arm, that's not going to kill you as much as it would for somebody like Soroka having to do that, who's already at a, at a career high in innings. 
I did think it was interesting that that Jerry Blevins was left off, but I know that's pretty symptomatic of the fact that that St. Louis is a right-handed heavy lineup too. So I think we will most assuredly see Jerry Blevins in the NLCS if we make it. Yeah, I would I would definitely imagine that. I think this I think it was a smart move because you really don't want as good as Blevins has been all year, you don't want him facing righties. Uh, and pretty much every player of note for the Cardinals is right-handed except for like uh, Colton Wong and um, Dexter Fowler. They're pretty much all right-handed, so I understand that. And Blevins isn't exactly a guy that you want to give Snicker the option of using him for a full inning. I think you and I would both agree on that a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm totally fine with that. But we do got to cut this this segment here soon. So I want to move on from the roster and move into the matchups themselves. We've already talked about them a little bit, but Keichel versus uh, Miles Michaelis tonight. That's a really interesting one. Michaelis last year was one of the better pitchers in baseball. Not so much this year. He's been victimized by the home run. I think he's given up, uh, I think it's 16 homers on the year. Uh, gives up a lot of them on the, and he gives them up on the road too. So I'm pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about that matchup. I think the Braves can get to Michaelis. He doesn't really have anything that I would say is uh, overwhelming, which is why I believe he was in Japan before coming back to the majors last year. Um, the, the, the game two matchup is the main matchup to me. When you're talking about uh, Mike Fultonevich and Jack Flaherty, that's two guys who've ha- who've had some of the best last 30 days in baseball. Uh, Fulty really, really turning back the clock and looking a lot more like last year. Looks like he's really settled in. Uh, and Jack Flaherty, a guy who the entire second half has just been absolutely lights out. That should be a fun one. Fulty traditionally does well against the Cardinals. Um, we'll, we'll see how he carries it over. I like I know there's been a lot of debate on it, but I like that Soroka is starting Game 3 on the road. I know a lot of people are saying, well, you should give Soroka the chance to start twice. But he does pitch significantly better away from SunTrust Park. And I think having him in Game 3 as a chance to close out, if, if you win those first two games in Atlanta and Mike Soroka is starting Game 3, um, probably against Adam Wainwright. I don't know if it'll be Wainwright or Hudson. It'll be one of those two, but against either one of those, having Soroka make that start in St. Louis, I think that's a great chance to sweep a series. I think that that was a smart move to put Mike Soroka in Game 3 and not blow him on Game 2. Well, it gives him a little bit of extra rest, too. At this point, any any extra day that he can get in there. You can get into the rest versus rust argument, but for somebody that's been throwing as much as he has, I think um, it's obviously when you look at the numbers uh, over the course of an, an entire season, then if you're looking at that much of a discrepancy between road ERA and home ERA, I mean, you have to kind of go with what works, and that's certainly what works. So buying him a little bit of extra time, putting him on the road where he appears to be more comfortable, that's great. I do find it interesting that the Game 3 starter is going to be Adam Wainwright. So we've talked about this possible Braves revenge tour, uh, clinching against the Giants, which was huge, and now moving on to face the Cardinals, who they, they've got some history against. Uh, if they are able to sweep this and they're able to beat Adam Wainwright, then that can kind of put to bed some of the people that are still 15 years later crying about the J.D. Dude, J.D. Drew trade. God, that's a tough one. Um And, you know, Adam Wainwright was a, a top prospect who was traded, and, and people point to that trade all the time about this is why you hang on to your prospects and neglecting to mention you know the literal thousands of other prospects who were highly touted and never made it so uh, that beating adam wainwright is one for the revenge tour checklist so i'm here for it and if nothing else uh, if this does wind up dragging out to a game four 
then you will arguably see Max Freed or, uh, like I alluded to earlier, you could possibly see Dallas Keuchel on short rest for that. And then if it comes comes back to Atlanta, Fulty in a clincher against Flaherty again, probably. Ooh, ooh that is must-see TV, Dylan Short. Uh, absolutely. Anytime it's Max Freed is... is- perfect time to watch but Max Fried versus his rotation made in high school and what I can only imagine was the greatest high school rotation ever that would be awesome uh, do you think a series gets that long how 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 do you see this do you see a four game a five game three game maybe a sweep what do you think I think Braves in four I think the Braves can can do it in four now <laughs> we're recording this before the game and you know so by the time this comes out tomorrow morning game one will already be completed so uh, we could either be in a position to sweep or or to to be swept depending so uh yeah i think i think four is it it's a it's a nice round number uh, nlds there's such a premium on wins and and being smart about how you get base runners on and get them over and everything even for as good as the petriello article was that you referenced earlier about playing small ball and yeah that's great but why don't you just hit home runs <laughs> for as many for, for as many times as as uh, you we have mocked chip for saying you know uh a base runner is a rally in the postseason. The truth is, it's pretty accurate. So when it comes to what the Braves do best, which is like getting guys on and using speed and having guys like Ronald and Ozzie and Dansby, um, who are, well, I guess Ronald's the only one who's not afraid to run. Dansby tied his career high in stolen bases this year with 10. So even if he's fast, he doesn't necessarily use it in that manner. But, you know, going first to third and, and scoring scoring from second on a single, all those, all those things are going to wind up being really huge to do, especially when you face guys like Miles. Michaelis. Michaelis. And, and guys like Flaherty, who, who tend to not really allow base runners anyway. I think if the Braves are smart about how they go about this, there, there could be some type of um, celebration in St. Louis. I mean, I, I would agree. I think four is the right number. I think uh, I don't, I usually don't predict sweeps. It's just there's too much going on. One team gets gets too desperate, and they'll pull out all the stops if they have to. Um, I think four games is the right number. Uh, I, I don't know which game the Cardinals will take, but I do think they'll take one. Um, the Cardinals are the only other team in this postseason that have a significant running game. Uh, they're like second in the NL, I, I believe, as far as you know, stealing. Uh, Tommy Edmond is a really fast runner. Um, Tommy Edmonds, a guy that, that got a lot of steals and, and kind of a breakout year for him. Colton Wong is fast as well. They run bases pretty well. I think they're the one team that kind of takes that advantage away from the Braves. I think uh, I think this is a big series. If you if you're cognizant on on keeping them off the base paths, I would think that Francisco Cervelli gets at least one start in this series uh, because I think he's your best catcher in terms of keeping runners from stealing. Uh, we all know that Tyler Flowers does not do a great job mowing down runners. Neither does McCann at this point in his career. So I, I think uh, I think you could see Cervelli get at least one start in the series. But for the full playoff bracket, I want to get your idea. Let's start off with the NL. Uh, we've already seen the two wild card games go. You also just said that the Dodgers beat the the Nationals and the Braves beat the Cardinals. So who are you picking in the NLCS? Are you going Dodgers or are you going to go Braves? I am going to choose the Atlanta Braves to win the National League pennant. So you and Buster only have something in common. Um, I've this been is, saying this is the only thing. Yes, <laughs> I've been saying the Dodgers. Uh, I said the Dodgers on Locked On Angels, but since this is our show, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer and I'm going to pick the Braves. Um, I think the Braves def. I think the Braves have a definite. I don't think that. How can I put this? Last year, I think the Braves needed the Dodgers to beat themselves. 
I don't think the Braves need that this year. I think the Braves can go out there and beat the Dodgers over the course of a series. We've seen how you can do it. If you keep them from hitting home runs, uh, then you can then you can beat them. If you can get to their bullpen, they're susceptible. This Dodgers team does not have the same bullpen they had a year ago. Um, I think the Braves are a much better matchup. I think they're much deeper than they were a year ago. They're still not as deep as the Dodgers, but I would take the Braves' top four over anybody's top four, and that's basically anybody in baseball. I would take the Braves' top four in the lineup of Acuna, Ozzie, Freddie, and Donaldson over anybody else. So I think the Braves can do that. As far as the AL side of things, we know it's going to be Tampa versus Houston, and we know it's going to be Minnesota and New York. How are you feeling about those two series? I hate to be so basic and obvious with it, but I'm going to go Houston and New York to win. Um, the Twins, we saw the Twins, man, and they they don't quit, and they they can hit some home runs. And the Twins playing at Yankee Stadium is particularly interesting because, I mean, everybody's hitting home runs at Yankee Stadium. So I think it's going to be a very, very high-scoring series, as I, as I mentioned earlier. But I think the Yankees will prevail in that. I think Houston, even for as good as Tampa's pitching is going to be, I'm going with a Yankees-Astros-ALCS. And I think that the Astros are going to win the AL. Are you pretty close on that, or do you have the, the Twins winning? I'm I'm really close to you on that. I, I am picking Houston over Tampa Bay. Uh, I think that that one is the most likely series to end in a sweep, and not because Tampa's not good, but because you have to face Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Zach Greinke in succession. Uh, and then Wade Miley is not exactly a, a gimme as the as the fourth starter either. Right. Um, I, I think that Astros team is just too good everywhere. They're not the most home run hitting team. Like They're not like the Twins or the Yankees where they just bomb, bomb, bomb. They have a great balance between guys that get on base, guys that can run, guys that play good defense, and, and people that can bomb. And anytime you have Alex Bregman, that's a big time. That's a big-time deal, and I think the Astros have easily the best bullpen in baseball. Um, whether or not I like all the people in that bullpen is a different story, but they do have an outstanding bullpen. I think that they assert their dominance there. The Yankees-Twins is really interesting. I think the Yankees win, but I don't. I think that they're such an evenly matched team except for one area, and that area is the starting pitching. I think that's the one blemish for the Twins. Jose Barrios is an outstanding pitcher. But after Jose Barrios, that's really the only guy that I think is a significant playoff advantage type of pitcher. Um, Jake Odorizzi's had a, a, a pretty good year. Kyle Gibson's had a decent year. But there's nobody else on that pitching staff aside from Barrios that you look at and look around the league and say, okay, cool, he'd be their number two or their number three starter on those other teams. The Yankees have had some starting pitching problems, but they've got Luis Severino back in whatever capacity they want to use him. Uh, they've, they've got James Paxton, who has been outstanding for them. The third starter, I'm not sure who they'll use. I mean, they could use, um, they could end up using J.A. Happ. I think they could also use uh, Masahiro Tanaka. I, I think they'd be more inclined to use Tanaka. Neither one of them has been great in the second half. But when you're talking about that lineup for the Yankees, they're starting to get just about everybody healthy. Uh, Aaron Judge has been, hitting homers, has been hitting homers with reckless abandon since he came back from injury. Um, they, they've got a, I think the Yankees are able to scratch that one out. I think it's a lot tighter series than the record would indicate, because I think the Yankees will win that in three, but I think it will be a much tighter series than the record would show. No, I, th- I think that's I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And yeah, the, the Yankees do do have an advantage there, and Jose Barrios against James Paxton for a game one is 
There's so much good pitching. That's everywhere. good matchup right there. Uh, that being said, we do need to take yeah. a, a short break. When we come back, we're going to have an abbreviated second segment because I want to watch the first pitch of the game. So when we come back, we'll discuss a little bit more in depth on the numbers of the Braves who are in this postseason, who we think can be X factors. We'll be coming up again after a short break right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't sh- with leader hose and tricks. Welcome back to the second half of the Platinum Sombrero, ladies and gentlemen. I am Doc Herbert, and with me as always is Dylan Short. Before we get rolling back to the baseball talk, just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Blue Chew. You know, everybody's got their own type of physical uh, affliction as they get older. Me personally, I destroyed my knees and I can hear them crackling when I walk upstairs. Look at Dylan. He's starting to turn gray and he's way too young for that. But for some guys, the problem starts in their drawers and... In addition to not being able to satisfy your lady, you have to deal with the mental hurdles associated with that. So, gentlemen, if that's the case, do your lady a favor. If she's getting restless because you were wrestling with ED, take the plunge and try out Blue Chew. It's a new, completely safe, chewable pill. It works twice as fast as your traditional ED pills with the same safe ingredients so you know you're not poisoning yourself. Sometimes it's hard to take the leap of faith, but it doesn't have to be. You too can become the number one lover man in your particular postal district. Go to bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. You do not have to spell the dot. Put in our promo code armchair and get your first order for $5, which only goes to cover the cost of shipping. Your manhood is worth it, and your lady will thank you. You too can become the lover that Barry White always swore that he was, and you can do it with Blue Chew. So, as we get into the second half of this show, we've actually been promising, I think this is the third straight week where we have uh, referenced doing a Get to Know a Patron segment. Uh, We are due to do our third one, but considering the uh, playoffs are still ongoing right now, we are actually going to wait until uh, the season ends. Hopefully, we're not able to record this episode until November because it means the Braves will just keep winning. Uh, Anybody who is interested in coming on the show, joining us, then uh, feel free to... uh, Go to TP, uh, excuse me, patreon.com backslash TPS underscore podcast, throw your hat in the ring, come on to talk some baseball with us, play extra innings, and all that fun stuff. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Dylan, I would like to take a second to talk about somebody that's not going to wind up being our on our Get to Know a Patron segment, but it's somebody that has uh, just done me an absolute solid. Uh, may I tell a quick story about my buddy Matt Kelson? Of course you may. Oh, cool. Thank you. Okay, so... Matt Kelson is one of my newest friends. He and his wife, Deirdre, just moved out here from uh, San Francisco about two and a half years ago. Uh, we all go to the same gym. We, we all hit it off. Um, Val has met these people. She gave the thumbs up. She approves of them as well. And Matt told me when he, when he first moved here that he's not a huge sports guy. You know, he'll, he'll go to a couple United games, but he just doesn't really get into it as much. But before he moved to San Francisco, he lived in Boston. And so I came to him and I said, hey, 
you were in Boston when Boston broke the curse and won the World Series, and then you moved out to San Francisco and then won three World Series in over the course of like five years. So you're kind of a blank slate. You're not a huge baseball fan. I, you, and I said this to him and to his wife, I said, you guys are like the lucky charms here. I need you to go full backing super fan on Braves fandom. So he's they're both like, okay, this is cool. So about three hours ago, he texted me and he said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I thought he was just going to say, hey, you know, come over, let's watch the game or whatever. And um, Matt works for Delta and he got like some chairman's club seats. So I'm going to be basically one of the closest people in the entire universe to Ronald Acuna uh, for the game two matchup tomorrow. So super massive mega shout out to my buddy, Matt Kelson. Uh, You just kind of saved the day. And when the Braves win the World Series, you can all thank Matt and Deirdre. So now that I got that off my chest, I know that the first pitch, I think, happens in about four minutes, but before we sign off and let everybody get to their playoffs, I would like to go over a couple of uh, a couple of my favorite stats from the year. You want to just go back and forth on some of these? Uh, yeah, feel free. Okay. First things first. Now, I have this in the show sheet, so you already know what the answer is going to be, but... Mike Soroka posted a 4.0 F war this year in what was still technically considered his rookie season. Do you know how far back you have got to go to find a brave starter with a higher F war than that? Well, I know, but the listeners probably don't, and I highly doubt they would guess this name. So why don't you let them know what all of your research has brought to fruition? You have to go back to 2009 to where Javier Vasquez posted a 5.9 F war, which is preposterous. That was a really good season that he had. But we just watched a 21, 22-year-old post one of the best seasons that, the, that a Brave starter has had within a decade. So that bodes very well for the future, wouldn't you say? Uh, it absolutely does, and it kind of ties into one of my favorite statistics that you put up here. That was that Mike Soroka and Freddie Freeman were worth the exact same amount of war. Now, that is one of the lowest numbers Freddie's put up in a while, and he was only... This is the crazy part of that stat. Freddie was the fourth most valuable offensive piece. I'm going to say that again and allow that to sink in. Freddie was your fourth most valuable offensive piece. Freddie Freeman... <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and coming into this season, you know, we're, there's no need to, to dig up old takes for, for what people were saying about Josh Donaldson coming into the year. But if you were to tell everybody during the time of the signing, like, hey, he's going to be worth uh, an entire win more than more than Freddie was, or, if you, you know, you're going to go back to the day that Ozzy signed his contract extension and say he also is going to be worth more than Freddie is. I mean, you take that every single day. A guy who hit almost 300 with almost hit 40 home runs, drove in 121 runs, still being the fourth most valuable piece of your offense. I mean, that's ooh, that's awesome. That's really, really great. And for what it's worth, uh, with him being the fourth on the team with four F-War, the Braves were the only team in all of baseball that had four players above four F-War. That's absolutely amazing. Almost as amazing as the fact that Ozzy Albies grounded into two double plays all year. That's true. I have some other fun stats about Ozzy Albies if you would like to hear them. I would love to hear anything about Ozzy Albies. <laughs> and uh, everybody talked about how we dropped off in the second half last year. Um, after the All-Star break, he hit 226, 282, 342. That's an OPS of 624. He had uh, four home runs out of uh, his 17 extra base hits in the second half, and it was 32% below league average as a hitter. 
For the second half this year, he hit 302, 354, 517. That's an OPS of 871. Had 37 extra base hits. 10 of those were home runs. His weighted runs created plus was 121, 21% above league average. So statistically speaking, this was the best half of his career. The second half of his 2019 was better than the first half of his 2018, which was kind of like the high watermark point for, uh, for Ozzy. So if, you, uh, if that didn't scratch the itch, though, it looks like I've got something here that you, being a huge Dansby Swanson fan these days, something that you might want to share with the people. Well, I suppose I can. Um, as you guys know, I ended up losing the bet. I made a bet with, uh, I believe it was Derek, Derek Duran, uh, about Dansby and Camargo, and I said that Camargo would be more valuable than Dansby. I was wrong, and that's based on the fact that Dansby set career numbers in basically every category except for games played. Yeah, I mean, you're looking home runs, RBI, runs scored, weighted runs created plus. I mean, pretty much everywhere you go, he he really... And he, this is with for as bad as he was when he when he came back from the heel injury, and uh, it was nice to see him finally start hitting a little bit during the during the very tail end of the season. First four hit game of his career it was really nice. But in the similar way to how Freddie posted one of his worst seasons last year, even when um, when Dansby wasn't hitting that great, his defense was rock solid. So that kind of propped up his F war. This year, he actually because of his defense taking a step back, his his overall F war took a step back too, even with all of the offensive gains. So, so I was half right, by the way. What you're saying is I was halfway right. Well, yeah, but you compared him to Camargo. I've got some Camargo stats here if you want to take a look at them. <laughs> I don't know if I really want to. I have a feeling you're setting me up. Oh, well, I mean, I was just going to highlight the fact that his uh, there was one point where his WRC plus, in, uh, or excuse me, his WOBA in September was like, 1400 or something something absolutely right possible. right when he came back from triple uh, a and was mashing absolutely everything that was a good point and then he got hurt unfortunately so i hope we see camargo in the nlcs hopefully we'll talk about him a little bit more in next week's episode but i also see that you've got some fun stats here on why the bullpen managed to turn itself around behind the three big pieces so without further ado doc please inform the listeners why we should be so excited about these three people for anybody who listened to the first segment at one and a half speed, you can slow us back down to, to one speed now. Uh, Chris Martin, Shane Green, and Mark Melanson combined to walk eight batters in their, their two months with the Braves. Chris Martin walked one batter the entire time that he was here, and that walk came August the 9th. That was shortly after uh, the conclusion of his first week here. He walked five batters all season, including his, his time with Texas. Um all things considered, Melanson, Martin, and Green had a 3.86 ERA, but their FIP was 2.6. And since the fire extinguisher incident uh, on August 10th, uh, which was right after Chris Martin issued his last walk, ERA was 2.41, FIP was 1.99. Dylan, I know you're a huge fan of Sierra. Um, that was 2.89. Between that's the three what I'm of talking them, about. That's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah, that's that's kind of amazing. Um, 1.6 FWAR generated between these three guys over the course of two months. 54 strikeouts versus four walks after the fire extinguisher incident. Interestingly enough, Sean Newcomb, who pushed the trash can that knocked the fire extinguisher off the wall, kind of sucked since that, inc- since that <laughs> incident. He was, uh, he was a bit of a martyr. for. He was uh, the sacrifice. Yeah, and you know what? Look, Sean, I know you're listening, and I'm sorry to say this, man. You were worth it, so, you know. 
<laughs> Good luck in the playoffs. Don't walk anybody. <laughs> now, I do have a fun stat on uh, Adani Echeverria. Oh, tell me all about it. So for those of you who are aware that Adani Echeverria has basically played for every National League East team, uh, with the exception of Philadelphia, I believe, is the only one he hasn't played for. Philadelphia and Washington. I don't think he's played with Washington. Um, but he's played for three out of the five, so he's a passing average there. Um, his career weighted runs created plus, which is basically the the whole offensive value rolled into one stat, 72. Now an average score is 100, so that is significantly below average. For the Braves, Doc, are you ready for this? I couldn't possibly be more ready. Weighted runs created plus, again, total offensive value rolled into one stat of 162. <laughs> I mean, this this was certainly picked up a little bit by the two-home run game that he had uh, against the Mets. He crushed the Mets in that series. I know he took a whole lot of flack for saying, thank you, God, for, t- for taking me off the Mets, which is one of my favorite baseball quotes I've ever heard. But uh, what a... What a revelation he's been. And he he kind of he was like the face of that whole next man up movement where it's we're gonna pick somebody up off the scrap heap, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get Billy Hamilton, we're gonna get Francisco Cervelli, and everybody's gonna step in and perform like all stars. And when you actually when you look at what Hetchavaria, Hamilton, and Cervelli did when they came over here, through sixty five total games between the three of them, that's hundred and fifty five plate appearances. So you obviously had some some pinch hits in there. Um they hit 299 with a 387 on base and a 552 slugging percentage. 139 weighted runs created plus. They combined to be worth 1.3 F4 over 65 games, which if you break that out over the course of an entire season, comes out to 3.2 F4. So that Billy Hamilton, Adani Hetavaria, and Francisco Cervelli combined in their brief time, they would have been the fifth most offensively valuable Brave. That's absolutely incredible. When you're talking about going into the postseason, missing your two best bench pieces in uh, Camargo and Charlie Culberson, those three guys are going to play absolutely essential roles for the Braves. And if you had told me that I could pick three players for this bench and they were going to be mainstays of this bench, I can assure you two out of those three would never have crossed my mind offensively, talking about Echeverria and Billy Hamilton. And it's it's so funny to see how quickly they just came came in, like even aside from the baseball stuff, you look at Cervelli, he'd been on the team for like 40 minutes, and it's like he's best friends with everybody in there. And same thing with Hamilton, he's just got that same super jovial, like, look at me, I, I'm such a goofy dude, I just belong here with the rest of these goofy dudes. I mean, they just fit right in. It says a lot about working environment and just being comfortable with everything top to bottom. So... You know, and and I don't know if if after these playoffs are done, if any of these three guys are going to wind up still being on this team. But I don't need them to be good forever. I just need them to be good between now and the end of October. <laughs> right, so. just get me through November, and you'll epitomize yourself in Braves lore forever. So we are going to end really. We're about to end now because we want to watch the game. I've been watching on my phone during this entire segment here, um, as Ozzy Albies is up to bat with uh, Acuna on first. But I did want to leave off with this. Braves fans, enjoy this series. Don't lower your expectations. I meant to mention this in the first segment, but uh, Doc, I don't know if you noticed this on Twitter, but Brian Finneran, who is a host for The Front Row at 680 The Fan, who I work with, um, 
on Wednesdays. There was an article put out that he sent to me. It was it was by one of your buddies at Talking Chop, uh, Ivan the Great. Now, Ivan, I really enjoy his writings, and you kind of have to lean into being a stat guy to uh, get through some of Ivan's stuff, especially this last piece where uh, detailing why the Cardinals are such a, a good matchup for the Braves and why it's not surprising or that fans shouldn't be overconfident. Um this is the one time I'm going to say, Ivan, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with you. Uh, I think that's a little bit of stretching. So Braves fans, make your own choices, but do not go into this series thinking that the Braves are on an even footing or possibly behind. This is a this is a series where you should look at and say, I, I think you should say the Braves should definitively win this series. There should be an expectation of victory here. Uh, all that to be said, I love what Ivan does, and I'm not trying to pick a fight with Ivan. Just saying... This Braves team, totally different Braves team. I have full confidence that they will win today, even though Ronald Acuna got thrown out by Yadi Molina, which I can think of very few players I don't like as much as I cannot stand Yadi or Molina. Um, but that said, Doc, I know you're feeling good about this. Uh, I know the rest of Braves country is feeling excited. Don't let this overwhelm you. Enjoy the series, and let's get ready to beat the piss out of the Dodgers. <laughs> Getting ready to beat piss out of Dodgers. Check. No, this is a... This is huge, man. And, and you know, just enjoy it for any number of reasons. Um, this could wind up being the last series of the year, and I'm, I'm not saying it is, but, like, savor it, try to enjoy it while you can, because if this does wind up being the last series, then there will not be a meaningful Braves game again until March, and that is a very long time. So um, enjoy it. Chop as hard as you can. Uh, if the Braves wind up clinching, then, um, you know, go out into your street and scream the tomahawk chant uh, as you, just at the top of your lungs and wake up all your neighbors and all of that obnoxious jazz. And we look forward to hearing about how you celebrate uh, the Braves winning the NLDS. Also, feel free to send us your playoff brackets and how you think things are going to go. But for now, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. We know you've got a ton of stuff going on with this Brave series. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll be back next week here on the Platinum Sombrero. Mm-hmm.